Welcome, everybody, to this special edition of Amplify Your Business. Today, I'm interviewing a guest I've had on in the past, but in a different capacity. Today, I welcome back to the show Ashif Maji, and he is the Managing Director of Scale Good Fund LP. Welcome to the show once again, Ashif. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Lance. So I wanted to start off this episode of the show talking a little bit more about your background as an entrepreneur, but I would love it if you could retell the story that I've heard once before, uh, just in terms of your family and how you arrived here in Edmonton, because you were not born here, um, and you have a very interesting backstory, and, uh, and then we'll get into a little bit more of the things that you've been doing since then and where you find yourself today. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I was born in Kenya. I was born in uh, a place called Mombasa. It's a coastal town and, uh, uh, you know, lived in Kenya till I was 15. Um, you know, came from very humble beginnings. Uh, my, my dad used to work at Honda. He was on the shop floor. Um, uh, and my mom used to teach and, you know, both worked really, really hard and kind of progressed through their respective careers and, you know, at uh, one point, my dad was the managing director for Honda for Africa. And so we had a really good life. You know, my mom had her own Montessori school, uh, really good life. But uh, security in Kenya was was diminishing uh, rapidly. And I think the tipping point, you know, I, I used to get mugged every week. And you kind of, after the first time, you kind of, yeah, whatever, you know. And then the <laughs> next time you see them coming and you go, yeah, yeah, you know, they just want to watch. So you just take it out and you give it to them, right? Uh, my dad would get mugged and stuff. And, you know, you kind of get used to it. But the tipping point was when my dad's best friend got killed. And so, you know, it was just somebody that wanted a car, uh, didn't ask for the car, shot my dad's friend. And that was it. My dad said, we're, we're done. Right. And so luckily, he, you know, he knew the Canadian ambassador, the American ambassador and the British ambassador. So we toured all three countries in the summer of 86 summer being the operative word and, uh, you know, loved Alberta in summer and, yes. uh, you know, moved here in February 87 from plus 30 to minus 30 and <laughs> that leave everything behind. So that's one of the, I guess the tricky thing is when you leave a country like Kenya, uh, you can't bring anything with you. So no money. I mean, we brought clothes and that was it. Yeah. And, and that's a part of the story that absolutely fascinates me because I, I had no idea that you couldn't take the money out of the country. And right. So here you are, um, your family, like you said, started out with humble beginnings, your dad working on the shop floor and that, and then works his way up into a managing director role. So a, a very prestigious position, of, you know, well-connected and everything else. And obviously you had wealth there. And I think that when you told me the story the first time, you said like you, you, you gave away everything that you had, all the possessions, really, your cars, your houses, the, and left all the, the money that was in the bank account there. No, exactly. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the lesson is what's most important, right? Is your life most important or is wealth most important? Yeah. Right. Family, you know, the decision was, no, it's our life. Uh, money we can, we can make again. You know, we've made it once, we can make it again. And that's the entrepreneurial, uh, you know, that's that's kind of in our DNA is we're not afraid of losing it all uh, yeah. because we just know we can make it back. Yeah. Yeah. And, and isn't that the truth, right? And, and that's the, the resilience and the faith in, in our, ourselves that we have as entrepreneurs. And so I'm curious, when did you yourself get bit by the entrepreneurial bug? 
It was back in Kenya. Um, you know, I had uh, expensive tastes. Uh, I loved to play the keyboard. I loved to, to, to ride motorcycles and actually race them. And, you know, my parents always said, you can have anything you want. You just got to work for it. Yeah. Right. And so they taught me early on that I got to I make my own money if I wanted to do those things. And so, you know, I'd have a trade show booth, kind of like at a farmer's market on the weekends. Um, I'd go get watches and consignment from a, a shop in downtown Nairobi and would sell them on the weekend. So, you know, there was no capital outlay. Uh, I just had to pay for the for the exhibit for the booth, um, and then on the weekend I'd hustle and sell watches, and then Monday I'd return what I didn't sell, and I would get you know a percentage of the profit of what I sold. And so that's oh, yeah. how I fueled my habits. And and how old would you have been when you were doing this? I would have been around, and this is a guess, uh, probably around eleven, twelve in that range. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, I love computing. Like I love to, uh, but computers were first of all not available in Kenya. Now you know, luckily we were we would go to London to England, uh, you know, at least once a year, and so I could buy from there. But I still needed the money, and so I had to make this money at the trade show to pay for my computing. <laughs> Very cool. And so then, what age were you when you moved to Canada? Then I was fifteen, so I moved here in eighty-seven. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it was a, you know, a culture shock, uh, climate shock, like everything shock, right? It was just, uh, um, you know, very, a very new environment to come into. So we're, you know, at first it took us a little while to kind of get used to things. Yeah. And so then what was your first entrepreneurial venture in Canada then? It was, it was actually selling, uh, at that time, Nintendos were popular. Yeah. So I would, I'd buy and sell Nintendos and stuff like that and video games and um, kind of got into that and then, you know, kind of got into some programming. So doing some consulting work and so forth. Okay, really good. And so now now tell me, I mean, you've had just uh, quite the storied uh, journey. Right now you um, are the managing director of a fund and so you're uh, – working with all sorts of startups globally, I think with that particular fund, right? And uh, and so you've had the, the opportunity to experience a lot of different businesses, um, but I'd imagine there was some challenges along the way. What would be, you know, some of the biggest challenges that you faced uh, when you were here in Canada, um, you know, learning the new culture and then becoming an entrepreneur here and and uh, and growing these successful businesses and then finding yourself where you're at today? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I've learned a lot of lessons, right? Um, you know, if if I go back to my operational days, uh, you know, getting talent, uh, building culture, those those are areas that uh, were were definitely very challenging. Uh, so I, I learned a lot around that. Um, you know, basically, the, the net net I learned is uh, culture trumps talent, hmm. right? So because talent is something you can teach. Culture, you know, and ethics and morals and values, very hard to teach that, right? So, um, you know, it's always nice to hire the smartest person, but if that person doesn't fit your your corporate culture, then it's going to be an issue. So, you know, learn that early on, um, you know, and and obviously the entrepreneurial, you know, spirit, uh, optimism is kind of embedded in it, right? So I was always very optimistic in what I could sell and how much money I would make and all that. And I was always wrong, <laughs> right? I was, you know, it's always be like, I'd always think like, oh, no, no, we can sell that. 
know, sure enough, you cannot fundraise uh, <laughs> enough and things like that. But again, those are lessons you learn. <clears throat> yeah. And so in your current capacity here, uh, like I mentioned, as a managing director, scale good, you're working with companies all around the globe. What are the types of companies that really you're drawn to invest in? Yeah. So, you know, I've got about 120 investments around the world, direct investments. Uh, and obviously, like any other fund manager, you know, I'll track, um, you know, the metrics and, you know, what did well, what didn't do well, why did it do well, why didn't it do well? The key thing I found is that companies that have a social impact, meaning that they are doing some good, tend to do better financially, right? Because yeah. they have a better story, uh, better talent. Uh, because the employees are bought in, better customers, because customers are sticky. And so I found that investing in companies that have a social impact uh, yields a higher financial return. And so that's the kind of companies we're looking for. You, you know, we, we want you to make money, obviously, um, but we want you to do good as well. So whether it's for the environment, for healthcare, for the people around you, you know, whatever it is, as long as you have a social impact, uh, and you're making money or, or have the potential of making money, those are companies that we look for. And so has that always been your focus or is this something that is a relatively, you know, new understanding as to what you find to be the most successful businesses to invest in? I would say it's relatively new. Um, like I said, you know, the, the 120-ish direct investments, the, the focus was not social impact. You know, it was kind of like, you know, good performing companies, good potential good team, like all the other stuff that typical VCs look for. Uh, mm -hmm. I never had the social impact as a checkbox in there, right? But again, after you go through the analytics and you find out which companies do well, uh, you know, it became obvious that the ones that have a social impact are doing better. And so that was now added to our checkbox. Uh, and, in, you know, for the, in the case of scale, it is a very key checkbox. <laughs> if you don't check that, you don't, you know, don't, no matter if you check the other boxes, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. And and I know when uh, the at a previous engagement where I listened to you speak, you were talking about that really the um, experience that you had, you know, leaving Africa and coming to to uh, Canada and that whole safety aspect was the reason why you got involved with the organization that you were talking about on that particular day, which is one that we had you talk about before here, which is the TELUS uh, Community Safety and Wellness Accelerator that you have been chairing and, and really um, was the impetus behind creating that here in Edmonton, bringing that to Edmonton. Um, and that's the purpose for that accelerator as well. Do you want to just, you know, share a little bit more about what you're doing there and what you're trying to accomplish with that for people who maybe didn't listen to to the previous episode? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, again, coming from Kenya, the reason we left Kenya, you know, we had everything really, you know, a family could want, but leaving Kenya, knowing that you can't take anything with you, safety was the key thing. And, yeah. and you know, to me, it's, we can have the best in arts, the best in healthcare, the best in anything and everything. But if you don't feel safe walking outside of your door, you're going to leave. Right. And so if you want to build the best ecosystem with the best companies, the best talent, the best, all that, it needs to start with safety, hence the term safety first. And yep. so this Alice Community Safety and Wellness Accelerator is about that. It's about bringing companies from all around the world here into Alberta 
and coming up with, you know, how can we make their solutions if their solutions aren't, you know, amazing? How can we help make it more amazing? You know, get them the funding, get them the first customers and kind of build, you know, their solution with our community so that our community can get better, right? That's the first thing. Let's make Alberta better and then we can help them ship that product to every other community because guess what? BC has the same problems as us and so does Ontario and so does California and so does New York. Exactly. So, you know, it's very scalable and that's, that's what this accelerator is about. Yeah. Yeah. And so now you, you're on your third cohort of, is it 20 people per cohort? 20 per cohort. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, so at, and that's just about to start. So 40 businesses have come through. What kind of success stories are we hearing from or, how, or have you seen out of those first 40? Yeah, no, it's been amazing. I mean, you know, the, the key thing we look for is, you know, will the company be coachable? Are the founders coachable? Um, you know, do they have something brewing that can scale and so forth? So, you know, we look at all that stuff. Um, after they graduate, we obviously look for, did they get any funding? Did they hire more people? Did they get more customers? Uh, and all those are checks, right? It's like, you know, you talk to them and it's like, yeah, you know, thanks to this accelerator, I was able to get my next round of funding, you know, and, you know, in, in one case they raised, uh, I think over one and a half million, another one raised three million and so forth. Um, and then they're able to hire more people. They're able to get customers. Uh, they're able to export and kind of scale, right? Get customers in other regions. So all those things are what we were looking for in terms of the accelerator helping them and it's working. And, you know, the result is the net motor score. We always ask, you know, to the companies, how likely are you to rate up, to, to, to recommend us to a friend, colleague, or relative? Yeah. And we're in the excellence category. We're in that 69 to 100, I think, is that category. And that's what we are in. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. And uh, obviously, it's, it's just a shot of confidence in what you've created here. And, and uh, no wonder you're continuing on. And, and Talus is a big supporter of that. And, and obviously, they're, they're uh, going to be supporting these successful adventures like this. And so it's so important to see those successes. I, and now I'm really curious, not just within that, those cohorts, but just in general with all the startups that you work with and that uh, with your other fund and, and over the years that you um, have been, uh, you, you know, advising and, and helping um, them achieve some level of success, whether that's through investment or, or, like being an advisor, a trusted advisor, do you see any commonalities across, um, you know, most startups in terms of the things that um, are the, the biggest challenges that they face? You know, the things that are going to take them from, uh, you know, a struggling startup to, to one that is able to start to scale. Is there some common things that you're noticing? Um, and has that changed over the years as well, I guess? Yeah, you know, I'd say the common thing is, um, you know, what I would say is the entrepreneurial blindness, right? Meaning, you know, you always think your product is the best. You always think your service is the best. You always think your pricing is the best, et cetera. Um, and you're not really listening to the feedback and customer discovery, right? And so you tend to go down a path where, you know, you're just building more features, you're making the product amazing, et cetera. Uh, not understanding the balance between good, and good enough, right? Mm. That strive for good enough, uh, is overshadowed usually by striving for good or excellence. And so that becomes 
problem, especially in products, right? Because you're trying to build something to the level of perfection, whereas good enough gets you there. Yeah. And so teaching that is a key thing, and it's something that is getting better over time. Um, but it's still a problem. You know, that's mm-hmm. a big problem that we see with, with ventures today. Um, but I would say that is the fundamental issue right now. Yeah. And I, I like what you're saying there in terms of that, uh, getting to that minimal viable product, right? Is that good enough? Like there's, you have to listen to the market, identify what that is, because I know I've worked with a lot of startups over the course of our 11 years in business. And that's what I find as well, especially the ones on the tech side, um, because they're so passionate about what it is that they're building. And it's, really from a technology standpoint, I don't think you ever get to perfection ever. Like I, I don't know how you achieve that. And so it's so hard uh, to know when to kind of stop development and really get to market. Uh, and I can see a lot of uh, businesses spinning their wheels. There are entrepreneurs struggling with that. Oh, exactly. And then they burn through cash. They, you know, they yeah. demoralize their talent, like all that. Right. So it's, it's yeah. really a key thing that you need to learn. And I think, you know, the, the the secret is listen to others, not yeah. your group, but listen outside of your your company. Yeah, I mean, so obviously you're a, you know a big supporter of the whole accelerator uh, environment, right? That ecosystem where you're able to you know infuse a bunch of expertise and guidance into these businesses. Um, is do you feel that? Um, today's accelerators, because there's a lot of different ones out there and startup ecosystems that uh, different cities are trying to create. Do you, do you feel that what you guys have created is, you know, kind of the ideal mix right now? Or is there more things that need to be done to really support that ecosystem and the accelerators that are, that are, that are popping up? I, I think we have all the right ingredients. It's always a question of scale, Right. Um, you know, I'd love to do two cohorts, you know, in the same time period as we do one cohort, right? So, so we can take in 40 companies as an example, but that means more funding and, and all that more talent, more programming, like all that stuff. Right. So, yeah. uh, that, that's really the only thing I think from a, uh, an ecosystem, we're building that we're getting now community partners that want to be a part of this because they're seeing the success. Right. Everybody wants to be part of a winner, obviously. And yeah. so they're seeing that, you know, the, the startups are applying uh, because they've seen the results from the past two courts. Um, you know, funding partner sponsors are coming in because they're seeing the value. Right. So it's growing. Is it perfect? No. Will it ever be perfect? No. But we're getting better. Each court's getting better. Excellent. And so I want to circle back to, again, kind of the reason why you started this accelerator, and that is just the the safety and focus on that. And, and, you know, and then also, obviously, with your other uh, fund and and just working with companies that have that uh, community focus and and social, you know, responsibility focus and whatnot. Is there, um, like, right now, there's so many issues in, um, I think, North America's and probably globally, the downtowns of of cities right now, where um, as we're coming out of COVID, you know, so many people are working from home. We don't have the population density now now that we used to have, uh, either like from a workforce standpoint, so all those people coming in. And so it's, uh, there's a lot of concern around safeties of downtowns. I know here in Edmonton, that's a, a big topic. Um, 
is in your mind, what can be done? Um, how do we solve this issue? Um, and is there, you know, some some bright spots that you're seeing, whether that's here in Edmonton or in some of the other cities that uh, some of your businesses are are participating in or, or located within? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question. It, it is something, and you know, obviously, density uh, in the downtown core has an has an impact, right? Uh, so the more people that can work downtown, the better it is. Uh, but it's a chicken and egg situation. People don't want to go into work because many have to use the transit. And if the transit's not safe, you know, you're not going to get to downtown, right? Yeah. And so, so that's the first thing is make transit safe. Uh, it is definitely not there right now. I, right now, I would not be taking the transit myself. I would not um, let our kids take the transit. Uh, just too many horror stories. Um, you look at downtown in itself. We have a lot of homeless people. And, you know, and, and mm-hmm. the common answer is, well, build more shelters, more houses. That's not it. Actually, yeah. If you actually take the time to talk to a homeless person and understand, you will very quickly realize housing is not the only thing they need. They need yeah. a whole ecosystem of support. And on a given day, it could be employment. On a given day, it could be food security, you know, and so forth. So we need to build a holistic system around it. And we're actually working on that project through the Edmonton Police Foundation. It's, it's the code name is Project Home Base. And hmm. that was again working with, you know, with the direct recipients. So people that are homeless and understanding what they need. And so that is something that, you know, we're going to, we're going to bring to the table soon. Uh, but it's a, like I said, it's a comprehensive solution centered around the individual. And until we get our heads around that, we're not going to solve this. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, the uh, police service has been, you know, criticized a fair bit. And I know you're the chair of the Edmonton Police Foundation. And so you're very much involved uh, in that world as well. And I I don't know from my you know, perspective looking from the outside into this problem, it's not a policing issue either. It seems to be much more in my mind, a social, um, you know, support issue, mental health issue, uh, addiction issues uh, that are kind of at the core of that. And so, um, you know, there's definitely been some, some changes here in Edmonton in the way that they're approaching it. If you, you know, could, you know, have a magic wand and wave it across our downtown uh, and, and be able to, to change one thing that you think would have the most impact and really, um, you know, helping with this problem. I know that's really a simplistic way because it is so multifaceted. What do you think, though, would be kind of one of the, the, the core, most important things uh, if it's not policing, really, and, and, mm-hmm. and law enforcement? Yeah, no, you're, you're right. Police, police happen to be the first responders yeah. because at the end of the day, when you see somebody banging up a, a bus shelter, you're going to call 911. Okay. That person might just need some mental health counseling, right? Might, yeah. might be, um, on, on some drug or whatever. So it's not your policing isn't the answer, but police is who is called first, right? Yeah. And so we need to obviously help them get them trained, get the right resources. But I think, you know, if I had that magic wand, I would say it's entrepreneurship. And Mm. and I'll explain that. Right now, we have the same people trying to solve the same problem that they've been trying to solve for the last 30 years. Has it been working? Right? 
And, you know, my, my mantra is if you do the same thing and expect different results, you're going to be in for a lot of disappointment. Yeah. And that's what we're doing. We're throwing more money, but it's the same thing. Bring in the entrepreneurs that will think differently, creatively, innovatively, and are not in that industry and help them with what they need so they can help you solve the problem. It's as easy as that. So, so how do we shift that then? How do we um, foster and encourage the entrepreneurs to tackle these issues? Good question. Uh, so we've got two challenges. We've got, uh, we actually launched a challenge through this board that I chair called the uh, Tell Us Friendly Future Foundation. So we're calling it Livable Cities for Youth, right? So this is all centered around youth, and it's, it's exactly, it's a, it's a $1 million prize uh, globally. Right. So we're inviting entrepreneurs from all around the world to work within the charities in Canada uh, to help build that infrastructure, like to, to bring in those innovation, the ideas and so forth. So that's one thing. In September, we have a big conference happening in Edmonton uh, that the Edmonton Police Service and the Edmonton Police Foundation are hosting. And guess what? There'll be a challenge coming out of there around mm-hmm. creating safe and livable cities. So we are going to bring the entrepreneurs in and have a surprise. Uh, you know, for that. And then basically uh, let's, let's let the entrepreneurs work with the community people and come up with solutions. Yeah. And I, and I love that you've circled it back to entrepreneurs because, so this is one of the things that I, I get on my soapbox and talk about. And that is that I really truly believe that entrepreneurs are the backbone and, and small businesses are the backbone of our economy. But beyond that, they're the backbone of our communities because we're the ones that, you know, all those sports uh, clubs and, and different interest groups come to for support, for, uh, you know, fundraising and, and donations and so on. But we're also the ones that are, you know, looking after the streets and trying to help, you know, make it an attractive place for people to come and visit as well and to support the people who are disadvantaged or are struggling and so on. And that's one of the problems that I think right now when I talk to a lot of the entrepreneurs or business owners in downtowns right now is that they're feeling very much like that they've been almost abandoned, that they've been kind of forced to to deal with this or left to, to deal with it, but they haven't been equipped with the tools um, or the incentives to try to, to, to ch- make change. Right. And so they're just dealing with their own businesses. You're talking about bringing in new entrepreneur thinking and, and really solving the problem with that intention right from the outset, which I love. That's really great. Exactly. I mean, you look at computing, you know, we, we've helped computing, you know, go to, you know, to quantum who yeah. did that? Was it government that did that? No, it yeah. was entrepreneurs, right? You look at healthcare, like look at the best innovation. It comes from entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, so you need to bring them in um, to help with this. And that's really the only way, in my opinion, that we can finally crack the nut on this. Yeah. Now, you being somebody who's grounded in technology, um, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about AI and AI's uh, impact on well basically everything <laughs> how in your mind uh what impact i guess can ai have uh with the things that we're talking about right now you know community safety and and so on but uh, just business in general uh where do you see this going and and what impact is are is it going to have in general on our society 
I, you know, I, I think, Lance, artificial intelligence and machine learning has to be a core part of everything you're doing in business today, you know, whatever the business is. Uh, at the end of the day, if you're not using AI today, then do it tomorrow, but mm. don't wait, right? Yeah. It's, you have to be using it. And the reason is artificial intelligence can look at data from the past, which we have a ton of, yeah. okay, in every sector. And it can help you with predictive guidance on where you should make the next decision. So whether it's in healthcare or in education or in agriculture or wherever it is, right? It doesn't, it's not going to solve the answer for you. It's not going to give you the 100% answer, but it's going to give you a, a predictability number. Say, we, you know, as an example, 80% certainty. If you did this, you will get this outcome, right? Way better than you just taking a stab at doing something or doing something the same way that you've been doing it for the last 20 years. Uh, yeah. So that's why I would say AI is critical in everything we're doing. Yeah, and I, I I agree. Like, I don't see how any business of the future is ever going to be able to avoid, um, you know, having some sort of interest in and in application of AI. It's it's impregnating itself into everything and rapidly. Right now, one of the fears that I have, and this goes back to you know community uh, again, is um, in you know in the past a lot of the the technological. Uh, revolutions, the agriculture revolution, industrial revolutions, and so on, um, those have typically uh, impacted in terms of job shifting, impacted the lowest tiers usually of the economic kind of ladder. Um, I see AI having a dramatic impact on a lot of, uh, you know, middle um, you know, income, upper income uh, positions, jobs, where we're going to see maybe uh, people, a different tier of the economy having to figure out what they're going to do next in terms of jobs. There's going to be a shift there. Um, and I don't know how our society is going to deal with that. And we, you know, have people talk about universal basic income and so on as different methods to to overcome some of the challenges that might be presented from this. What do you think is going to be, you know, the short-term impact? Um, and by short-term, I mean, probably the next 30 years or so, um, impact of AI on our society. I, you know, I think AI can take a lot of the mundane tasks and, exactly. and automate, right? Um, and and sometimes that is mid, you know, mid level, or sometimes it's the lower tier. Um, but I think as a society, we're valuing time, and I mm -hmm. think COVID has taught us that too. Is yeah. you know, where do you want to spend your time? Do you want to spend it working, or do you want to spend it with your family? Right? Do you want to go and experience the outdoors, or do you want to be cooped up in the office? Like all those things are helping people, you know, you've heard of the great resignation, all that. They're helping people understand what's most important. And so what does that mean? I think we're going to get to a four-day work week very soon. Like mm -hmm. many companies, there was a study just recently done, right? There was a pilot group of companies that did the four-day work week. At the end of that pilot period, all, all 100% said they are switching to the four-day work week because it's yeah. working. Better yeah. results. And so it just means less human work being done, supplemented by AI, and you get a better output. So from a corporation standpoint, you're still going to be great with your shareholders because you're going to provide better returns. Your people are going to be you know, much more happier because 
they're working less. Why wouldn't you embrace AI? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like what you're saying about the value that we're placing on time now. Um, yeah. And so it's a kind of a, a critical intersection of, of the COVID experience and now AI and that opportunity. And I read the same study that you, you just quoted, and that's actually something that I brought up with my executive team as well. When we were um, just last week, actually discussing this very topic as to is a four day work week, something that we want to entertain in our business. And so we're seriously considering that right now as well with that latest research. So uh, it's just really interesting and timely that you bring that up. No, exactly. Yeah. Again, it you know it's the, the old age of you know where you worked out you know it's, it's got to be forty hours. You have to put in forty hours. That's going to go. I think we're going to move more and more to an outcome based reporting. So, what did yeah. you actually deliver as opposed to how much effort did you spend in delivering? Right. And it's kind of like our our broken social system is like that too. We're counting how many beds, you know, how many homeless people did we serve, like all that. Not what happened to that homeless person. Did they become better? Did they, you know, were they able to go into their own uh, living arrangements? Were they able to get a job? Like all those things are outcomes and we're not measuring that. We're not funding on that. We're saying build more shelters, do this, do this, do this, which is all input-based metrics, not outcome-based metrics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with you on that. And I think that uh, so the businesses that have shifted, you know, through COVID again, which is I, I think having us all think about things differently. So when we shifted into the work from home environment, we had to really shift actually to that outcome based thinking um, a lot more so. Um, and I think that's liberated the workforce a lot as well because of that, um, where, again, it's not about whether or not you're in your desk at the office. It's about what are we getting done? Um, and that's the key metric that every business should be focused on is the outcomes, exactly. not, not the time and seat. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm really curious, um, and I ask this often to people that have just experienced a lot of success in their lives. And I know you, you know, out of all the people that I've had on this show, um, you've found just a tremendous amount of success. And I'm curious, what does success look like to you now? Uh, what keeps driving you forward uh, when you have got, you know, a lot of success in the rear view, rear view mirror, as well as, you know, obviously currently as you, as you're participating in so many things today. I, you know, for, for me, it's, have I, have I made the environment and the environment is broad, you know, it's the people around me, the community around me, et cetera. Have I made it better? Right. Mm -hmm. um, have I, really move the needle on that. Can I, you know, if, if I were to die tomorrow uh, and I was given the opportunity to look back and say, are you happy with what you did? Uh, I want to say yes, right? I want to say yes, I'm able to do this, this, and this, and this, and it made the environment around me better. Uh, to me, that's success, right? Along with that comes my own personal happiness. Am I happy? Am I content? Uh, you know, and whatever that is, is it, could I do my hobbies that I, you know, I love to do? Did I get more time to do that? Could I have spent more time or did I spend more time with my family, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Everything that makes me happy would need to get a check mark. And then again, did I leave my environment better than I found it? If that's a check mark, then to me, that's success. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, I, I'm also curious, um, 
uh, about your thoughts on this question, which I also ask a lot of my guests. And that is if you had the ability to send your younger self, your younger entrepreneurial self, a letter now with everything that you know today, all the experiences that you've had, what would you tell yourself in that letter? You know, I'd summarize. There'd be a lot of things I'd say, <laughs> but I would summarize to saying, uh, um, you're not the smartest. Uh, listen to those around you. You know, surround yourself with good advisors uh, and be coachable. Uh, as a young entrepreneur, you know, I, I was with this belief that I knew everything and I was going to be right most of the time and so forth. And as you grow through and just like, you know, as, you, as your kids become adults, they learn the same thing. Uh, no, I am not always right, more often wrong than right. And I am not the smartest, more often the dumbest, right? And to surround yourself with the right people, get that advice, get that guidance, be coachable, um, and it'll work out way better. Yeah, that's great advice for all of us at every stage of our <laughs> entrepreneurial journey, I think. Well, thank you so much, Ashif. I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to chat with you once again and to get your insights on what's happening, you know, currently in our downtowns and AI and then also your backstory as well. Uh, you are an inspiration to me and I know uh, also an inspiration to our listeners. And if somebody wanted to connect with you, what is the best way for them to do so? Uh, LinkedIn is best. Uh, I'm, I'm on it a fair bit. Uh, yeah. So, you know, you will get a response within usually a day or two on there. Yeah. And it'll be the real Ashif, not some AI version answering exactly. that stuff, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you once again. I really appreciate it. And for all of you who are listening to this episode, if you enjoyed this episode, check out our archives. We have many, many more uh, interviews over there at amplifyyourbusiness.ca. And of course, check us out on all of your favorite podcasting platforms to search Amplify Your Business. And until next episode, I wish everybody a prosperous day. And thank you once again, Ashley.